Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 18. The title of this morning's message is Abomination and Apostasy. Last week it was Salvation and Abomination. And if you want the totality of Genesis 18, 16 through 19, 38, then go back and get last week's message. But we'll pick up here in this tragic text where homosexuality is introduced on the pages of Holy Scripture, and we see the effects of the fall of mankind that began in the garden playing out in this great sin that the Bible sums up with one term, a vital term, a term that we need to hold fast to, and that's abomination. We cannot call it anything other. It is abomination. It is sin. It is wickedness. It is rebellion. It is perversion. It is lust. It is abomination. We call sin what the Bible calls sin. We call theft, theft. We call murder, murder, which is why we don't call abortion choice. We call homosexuality, homosexuality, not a lifestyle or a perversion or lust or unnatural. But again, the clear term in Scripture, the first term to really define that sexual perversion, that denial of God's created order is abomination. And we'll see that later in Leviticus today. And so here we are in Genesis chapter 18, and let me just summarize chapter 18. Abraham has this conversation with the pre-incarnate Christ and two angels. And ultimately, the, the Lord determines that he will reveal to Abraham the judgment he's bringing on Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we find this wonderful heart within Abraham, a heart of mercy, a heart of grace, pleading that God would have grace upon Sodom and Gomorrah if he could just find 50 righteous, no 45, no 40, no 30, no 20, no 10. If there were but 10 there, would you have mercy, O Lord? And this conversation ends in verse 32 with the Lord saying, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10 We know, of course, that there will not be ten found. In fact, in in truth, there will not be any found. There are no righteous men or women in Sodom and Gomorrah. We trust, despite his own abominable sin, that Lot is made righteous by grace alone through faith alone because of the testimony of of the New Testament that comes to bear upon this Old Testament narrative. But you'll recall that last week, or if you were not here, you'll hear today that the abomination in Genesis 19 begins actually with Lot's behavior toward his own daughters. It is abominable behavior. It is anti-fatherhood. And we see the effects of sin in Lot's own life. We see the the creeping effect. We see the corrupting effect. As the New Testament warns us, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good character. And you recall back in Genesis in earlier chapters, Lot coveted the best land for himself when Abraham said, see, here is all the land. You go whatever way you want to go. I'll go the other way way, and Lot took the very best land, which was toward Sodom and Gomorrah. He moved toward this city of sin, and then in time, he moved into the city of sin, and he became an important man in that city of sin, and that sin corrupted him radically, and it corrupted his family radically. And we see the ramifications of that corruption. We dealt with that in full last time, but let me just say again that Lot's 
offering up of his daughters in Genesis 19 to the sodomite rapist mob outside of his door that wanted to rape the angels was an abominable act. Not heroic, not justified in any way by any argument. And so we don't just put homosexuality in the category of abomination. There are other abominable sins. Absolutely. When Lot should have stood as a man, as a father, as a husband, to protect his daughters, to protect his wife, and yes, to protect these two guests in his home, these angels of God. Now, mind you, do angels need human protection? Ultimately, no, but they came in the likeness of men, messengers of God. But should individuals need our protection, we stand up and protect them, offering up our own life, if need be, in their defense. We don't make deals with rapists or terrorists that sacrifice the innocent, especially our own precious family members, our own dear and precious daughters. And while in this narrative this is not condemned, you must know that all of Scripture condemns this abominable anti-fatherhood behavior. God's word is clear. In particular, regarding wives, we are to love our wives as Christ loves his church. Christ laid down his life for his church. And so Lot should have been laying down his life or willing, being willing to lay down his life, not the lives of his daughters in such a horrific way. So, we'll not speak further to that, but I want to get to the main issue here in Genesis 19, which is the introduction of the abomination of homosexuality. It has radically corrupted all the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. It has seemingly taken over. It is complete homosexual lawlessness. There are no, I don't know if you've thought of this, there are no authorities here to stop them. It is complete sexual perversion. It's run rampant. We have sodomite rapist hordes trying to beat down Lot's door to sodomize the angels. And no one is there to stop them. And you think, how can this be? Well, sin begets sin begets sin begets sin. And when culturally a sin becomes accepted, becomes tolerated, and then celebrated, and when culturally those who stand against the sin are criminalized, not just marginalized, but then criminalized, and that's where we're getting in our very own society today, you can see how this very thing could happen. Now, 20 years ago, if I was preaching this, you might think, how did that happen? Today, I hope you can understand how that happened, that there is this Disgusting mob outside of Lot's door seeking to sodomize the angels and no authorities to stand up and no authorities to call upon. We are nearing that in our own society today. The further we get From the Lord, the closer we get to this abominable outcome. Let's look at the text, chapter 19. Pick up in verse 1 there. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, All the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. 
See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. This is a shocking account of the history of sin taking over the hearts of men in a society to where they are totally given over to their sin, totally given over to their suppression of truth in unrighteousness, totally given over to perversion. And it says, young and old, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they cry out to Lot and say, where are the men? Bring them out, bring them out, that we might know them carnally. When Lot comes out and speaks to them, they say, this one, he came here, he came in to stay, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. You see, there are no just judges left in the land. There are no authorities. There there is no police force to call. There are no soldiers to call. The corruption is complete. And so how dare you, you outsider, you marginalized one, are now becoming a criminalized one, and the penalty of your crime is we will deal worse with you than we were going to deal with them. And the angels have to rescue Lot from their intentions. And we see the reversal of good and evil. That which is good is called evil. That which is evil is called good. And Lot becomes the evil man here in trying to hold them back from their appalling lusts. Verse 11, the angel struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so they became weary trying to find the door, even when they're blind. Even when they're blind, they weary themselves trying to find the door. Now, I do wonder, were they completely blind or were they just blind to where the door was? Either way, you would think they realized something supernatural is going on here. There was a door there. Lot went back through it. He came out of it. Now he was pulled back through. Now it's gone and we can't find it. And they're wearying themselves in their insane lust trying to find the door that they might do horrific things. This book showed up at my house well over a year ago, and I don't know how. In God's providence, it's a book that I find useful. Uh, Someone sent it to me from somewhere without naming themselves, but it's a book written by a psychologist and it's copywritten in 1995, which is a few years before I entered the ministry. And it's titled, Homosexuality, A Freedom Too Far. This is a secular psychologist. Homosexuality, A Freedom Too Far. And this is before, this is written before homosexuality took a firm root in our society and began to corrupt the minds of the Western world and the United States of America as a whole. And he writes this. I'm going to read you some excerpts. In his introduction, he says, Why now? Because now to me... Why now am I writing this book? Because now to me, homosexuality has become more than one of the many psychological disorders. And I've got to stop him there. You need to know that secular psychologists saw homosexuality and lesbian behavior as a disorder, a dangerous disorder, because that's what it is. 
So why am I writing this book? Because now to me, homosexuality has become more than one of the many psychological disorders that walk into my office almost every day. Now homosexuals have co-opted the civil rights movement in the U.S. and made same-sex sex into a kind of civil liberty. Some lower courts and the mainstream mass media seem to have endorsed this view in the name of tolerance. Nice people, they say. Good democratic people do not discriminate against others merely because they are different. Now, my friends, it's not a mere difference. It is a sinful, dangerous, in fact, historically criminal behavior. When I say historically, I mean all the way back to when it started. It was criminal behavior against the law of God. I also mean back to when our nation started. It was criminal behavior in all of America's colonies and early states. I also mean that it was a crime on all 50 states' law books up until recent years, and I suspect some of the law books still have it as a crime. I also mean that while I was in the United States military, it was still a crime against the code or military code of justice, the UCMJ, a prosecutable crime. It's only in recent history that it's become a boast instead of a crime. A boast instead of something that is shameful, that if one engaged in it, they would hide. Now we boast it in our pride. He goes on to talk about how this is a redrawing of the male-female design. This is a secular psychologist who says, look, they're, they're assaulting the design. Now, he would say the design of Darwinian evolution. We know it's the design of God. But he says, look, we evolved a certain way, and this is the way it works. And when you go against that way, everything breaks down, and history proves this. And he's half right, of course. God designed us in a certain way. And when we go against God's design, when we rebel against our Creator, Everything breaks down. Marriage breaks down, which is the glue, the very foundation of society. Parenthood, children, it all descends into chaos and savagery. He says the time has come for someone to call this sexual reformation into question and to try to decode the clever rationalizations worked out by gay and lesbian politicians to lessen their own psychic pain. If there's one thing I know as a psychoanalyst, I know this. People don't get to the bottom of their pain by lying about it to themselves or to the world, much less by creating what a critic of the movement calls an upside-down moral universe, which is just another way of saying a general community-wide dementia. Now, he could not say this today and still have a job. He couldn't say this today and, and be safe if he said it broadly. He, he called it a cultural dementia, a community-wide dementia. And he saw it coming, and now it has arrived. And this is a secular psychologist. And hear me, what's tragic is the secular psychologist was bolder in his day than many professed Christian preachers were bold in 95 or in 2022. He goes on to say, if it takes a fool to rush in and do this job, well, so be it. He is willing to be a fool for the truth. Are we? And again, I've got to tell you that the sad reality is most pastors aren't. And most Christians are not willing to be a fool and go against the flow of our perverse culture. He goes on to say, my hope is that I can put some of the popular nonsense to rest and offer an informed defense for good old-fashioned sex between men and women and for the old-fashioned loving family. The homosexual rights movement claims a freedom to alter the basic design to assert that all forms of sexual relations are equal and indistinguishable. But this freedom, I submit, is not ours to fulfill. It is a freedom that goes too far because it undoes us all. It is a freedom that seeks to overturn not only the history of the human race, but to subvert its future as well. A freedom that dares to reform the most basic institution of society, the nuclear family. An institution that is written in our natures and evolved over eons. Again, he's half right. How far we have come since these words were written. But wait, there is more. 
He says the sexual landscape does get cluttered by those who are caught up in sexual ambiguity. A piece by Kate Bornstein in the spring of 1993 issue of a magazine out of San Francisco called 10% describes her relationship with a lesbian named Catherine who is undergoing a sex change. She will soon be known as David. What makes things even more confusing is this. Miss Bornstein was once a man. She now describes herself as a bisexual, heterosexual, lesbian, gay, male, transsexual woman who is in a committed relationship with a lesbian man named David. In her article, Miss Bornstein says, quote, that a woman is a social construct, which in turn means to her that there's nothing essential about being a woman. Do you see when we suppress the truth and unrighteousness, when we rebel against God, we descend into absolute madness. I can't make any sense of that statement, and neither can this secular psychologist. He says it's nonsense, it's madness, and it needs to be treated as a madness. Now, I say it needs to be treated as the madness of sin. To be dealt with with the Word of God and a call to repent and confess Christ as Lord of heart, mind, body, and soul. But he recognizes that it's a suppression of truth. Now we see this, this horrific scene in Genesis 19. The madness of perversion upon them. They come out, young and old, one and all, to rape what they believe are two men. And when Lot stands up to stop them, they say, we will do worse to you. When they're struck blind... They weary themselves searching for the door. And you think, well, that's an extreme. Is it? Alan Bell and Martin Weinberg did a celebrated study in 1978 of more than 1,000 gay men. They reported that 28% of their sample had more than 1,000 partners. And only 3% of them had 10 or fewer partners. I've had patients who leave my office in upper Manhattan and stop at a gay bar on the way home so they can have sex with a man. Sometimes they will stop at three or four subway bathrooms, otherwise known as tea rooms, and have sex with three or four consecutive partners in an effort to relieve their anxiety. I'm not talking about personal loving relationships here. Most often it's just anonymous sex. So anonymous that some gay bars have things that I can't even read to you about, things designed to keep it utterly anonymous. He goes on to say, once they decriminalized sodomy in a number of our most popular states, including New York, Illinois, and California, we saw a proliferation of gay bathhouses. It's still against the law in almost half of the states. In 1995, roughly 50% of the United States of America outlawed sodomy. I don't know how often the laws enforced in those places are under what circumstances, but law, law has an educative function. Decriminalize anything, such as the use of crack cocaine, organ, and you may be saying it's okay. Do you wonder why we now have an extreme homelessness problem? It's because we decriminalized drugs. There's a popular cliche that you can't legislate morality, but as Ty and Jeanette Beeson of the Lambda Report have pointed out, we cannot only legislate morality, we must. Liberals do it all the time. Observe them as they muster moral arguments in favor of gun control or the environment. Yes, we must legislate morality. He goes on to talk about these bathhouses. It's just shocking, the, the degradation, the the perversion that these men descend into. One of them known as the Bulldog Baths is decorated to look like a two-story prison with real cells and real bars and cells. And I can't even go into it. But the, the behavior these men embrace, is, it's not loving behavior. It's not healthy behavior. It's incredibly destructive, and it's no wonder that AIDS has run rampant. But now that AIDS, by the way, AIDS is not, it's not gone. It's still running rampant out in our society. It's not gone. We just won't address it anymore because it's not politically correct. 
STDs, socially transmitted diseases, are not gone. It's just not politically correct to talk about STDs, socially transmitted diseases that come from these bathhouses and these illicit hundreds and thousands of sexual non-relationships. You can't call them relationships. Now we call them STIs, I believe. Sounds a little better. It's an infection. Disease sounds so bad. Infection. And so our society is much like the society of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is, to me, beyond appalling that the man-boy love association is allowed to meet, is allowed to exist, and make arguments that men should be allowed to love boys, and what they're saying there is, is abuse boys in the most terrible ways. And the motto of the man-boy love association, Mambla, is sex before eight or it's too late. Now, I fully believe that the word of God ought to be applied in the Old Testament sense, and these men rounded up and put to death in short order. And I would readily vote that into law because it is evil profoundly evil. We not only have moved as a society to where psychologists no longer speak as the author of this book in 1995 was so bold to speak, but now they defend the homosexual lifestyle. They even defend the man-boy love association. They even defend adult-child homosexual relations as being healthy more and more often in their writings and arguments because we are descending into the madness of sin. Now in Canada, in Canada they have outlawed any kind of conversion therapy, conversion talk. The idea that homosexuals and lesbians, transgender, whatever you want to call them, men and women engaged in sexual perversion are not born that way, that this is deviant behavior, that this is a perversion of God's design, and that they can be set free of this, that they can convert, they can become what God created them to be, a man, a woman who has healthy sexual relations in the context of marriage, which is only, the only healthy place. That is the only healthy place. What do you mean, pastor? I mean the wage of sin is death. And sex outside of marriage, sexual desire even outside of marriage, is sin. It begins with lust, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, and it only gets darker from there. All of that, which is outside of the marital relationship, is sin. The wage of sin is death. So you can't sin in a healthy manner because you're bringing death upon yourself. There is no safe sex outside of marriage. There is only sin and death to whatever level you're going to reap that whirlwind, whether it's with an STD, whether it's with millions upon millions of abortions, because we're all just having consensual safe sex, right? Oh, we didn't plan on a baby. We just meant to gratify gratify our lust, and we don't want the gratification of our future lust to be interrupted, so we're going to have to murder the baby to continue this self-loving, destructive Lifestyle. So baby after baby after baby, 1.5 billion, I believe now, have been slaughtered on the altar of sexual gratification and safe sex. The madness of sin is, is all around us. I saw it in the Marine Corps as we came to Thailand and they were offering Marines condoms to have safe sex with prostitutes who they knew 90% of had AIDS. And I spoke as a sergeant to my Marines, and I said, look, all of you, every Marine in my unit was married. And praise God, not only was sodomy against the United Code of Military Justice, so was adultery. And I told them, if I find out any of you are with a prostitute, I will see that you are prosecuted as an adulterer under the United Code of Military Justice. And a staff sergeant, who was my superior in rank, said, Sergeant O'Neill, you can't legislate morality. Sound familiar? I said, you're right, Staff Sergeant, but the UCMJ already has, which is good. So these Marines don't take AIDS 
back to their wives and children. That expedition, that military unit that went to Thailand was called the 13th Mew, the 13th Marine Expeditionary Unit. Within six months of the 13th Mew coming back to the United States of America, 13 Marines were found to have AIDS. Because fools said you can go have safe sex with prostitutes, knowing 90% of them have AIDS. There is no safe sin. It always brings death to conscience, to heart, to mind, to peace, to relationships, and your precious soul, and maybe even your body. Abomination. That's what we see break out here. Abominable sin. And we see God's judgment fall on this abominable sin in verses 12 and following. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place? For we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The wage of sin is death. Death is coming for this entire city. Death is coming for our entire nation. Death is coming for the Western world. Death is coming for this planet. In an instant, the Lord's going to let loose the gluons of this earth and it will be consumed in fire and there'll be no place for anyone to hide. Now, mind you, their body will be consumed, but they'll get, be given a body that is fit for hell, a body that will exist forever and suffer God's due wrath, the due penalty of sin in hell forever and ever and ever. Will we not love them and speak the truth to them now and warn them now before it's too late? And hear me, by the time the whole horde is at your door beating it down, it's too late. And we are nearly there. We are nearly there. First, homosexuality was seen as a perversion, a shameful thing. Then it was tolerated. Then it was celebrated. Then those who didn't celebrate it were marginalized. Now those who don't celebrate it are criminalized. Judgment is coming. If there's no revival, if there's no repentance... It's often been said the Lord would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't bring judgment upon the United States of America. But it's not just the United States of America. It's mankind as a whole rising up against God and his Christ and this great perversion, this Romans 1, Psalm 2, uprising of global perversion. The world has become Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But his sons-in-law seemed to be joking. To his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Our job, whether they think we're joking or not, whether they think we're bigots or not, our job is to warn our neighbors, get out of this place. Come out of this sin. Come out of death. Repent and believe the gospel or you will perish. Verse 15, when the morning had dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought him outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Or stay anywhere in the plain, escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. 
Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. This fire and brimstone was from the Lord out of the heavens. Hell came down from heaven for the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Hell is the unleashing of God's wrath. Hell is not an impersonal place. Hell is the active, holy indignation of God upon sin and sinners. God is not ashamed of His righteous judgment of the wicked. Oh, friends, our neighbors will receive hell, will receive fire and brimstone from God personally if they do not repent and confess Christ as their Lord. If we are cowards, if we are self-loving cowards who refuse to warn them because we don't want to be called bigots, who refuse to warn them of the wage of sin, which is death, because we don't want them to hate us, we are hating them. We are hating them. Oh, that we would love them and speak the truth to them that they will die without, that they will be damned without, like Sodom and Gomorrah before them. And hear me, it's not just the homosexual, it's not just the lesbian, it's not just the transgender, it's every man and woman that supports it and promotes it, along with lust and fornication and adultery and abortion and every other vile sin. It is a whole colossal uprising with sexual sin leading the way in this universal apostasy, in this universal rebellion. And at the front of this grand parade, at the front of Satan's army, are the homosexuals with their rainbow flags, which is shocking when you think about it. Because the rainbow is a reminder of God's global judgment on mankind. Because God is a just judge and angry with the wicked every day. He brought global judgment through watery flood upon mankind. And every man, woman, and child outside of that ark perished. They perished when that ark was sealed up. Only Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives survived. And hear me, outside of the ark of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. There is only the wrath of God poured out. We need to plead with our neighbors to repent and cry out to Christ that He might save them. For soon, the door will be shut and judgment will come. Will we love ourselves so much that we would try to silently just make it through this life without someone disliking us, ill-treating us, hating us, or even criminalizing us because of our stand for the truth. Verse 25, So He, God, overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But His wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now that, that's all we get in this narrative about the wife, but I trust it wasn't just a mere glance, happenstance, look back out of curiosity, but a heart that longed for Sodom and Gomorrah. A heart that resented essentially being drugged out of Sodom and Gomorrah by the hand of the holy angel of God, by the hand of mercy. She turned back from the hand of mercy to gaze upon Sodom and Gomorrah and was turned to a pillar of salt. Beware, men. Beware, women. Evil company corrupts good character. Let us not love this world that hates our God. Let us not love our neighbors so much that we become infected with their sin. Let us love them so much that we speak to them about sin and righteousness and judgment. For that's what the Holy Spirit was sent, said Jesus, John 16, to convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment abomination and apostasy. 
Verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of the furnace, which if you're biblically literate, ought to remind you of Revelation 14, where the smoke of the eternal torment of those in hell rises before Jesus and his holy angels. Verse 29, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out to the midst of the overthrow when he had overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Consider the historicity and infamy of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is seen throughout Scripture. Isaiah 1, 9 says, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Amos 4.11 says, as God threw, overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And there are more in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus himself, speaking of his return and the coming judgment upon mankind universally, says, likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. Literal Lot, literal Sodom and Gomorrah, literal hell coming out of heaven Upon unrepentant sinners. Jesus says, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Fire out of heaven destroyed them all. They ate, drank, bought, sold, planted, built. They were living life. It was all good. It was all fine. And, you know, when groupthink decides what is good or evil, right or wrong, it was all good. But groupthink, societal consensus, does not decide good or evil. God declares that which is good, that which is evil. And God is gracious and merciful and long-suffering. But He's also a just judge and angry with the wicked every day. And eventually the judgment will come. Individually or corporately as that rainbow reminds us. Now it was given as a covenant seal and reminder that God would not judge the world with water again. But it also points ahead to the coming judgment that is of fire, a deluge of fire is coming that will not just cover the planet, but consume it and all the cosmos with it. And he will recreate the heavens and the earth. In Jude 7, it says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. There are those that come to Genesis here in 19 and they say, look, it was, the, it was the sin of a lack of hospitality. It wasn't homosexuality. It was the sin perhaps of rape, not sexuality per se. The rest of Scripture is clear. It's very, very clear. It was the sin of homosexuality. This universal acceptance celebration of gross perversion and abomination. Let's look to God's law. Leviticus 18. Consider the neighborhood of sodomy or homosexuality. The neighborhood. In Leviticus 18, verse 6, it says, None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. So the neighborhood is one of incest in Leviticus 18, verse 6. And then in verse 20, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife. The neighborhood is one of adultery, incest, adultery. You shall not lie with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. Verse 21, and you shall not let any of your descendants pass the fire to Molech, child sacrifice. So the neighborhood is incest, adultery, child sacrifice. That's the neighborhood that homosexuality is found in, in the law of God. It says, 
In verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. It is an abomination. That's where the first use of the term abomination is found regarding homosexuality in God's law. And indeed, it is an abomination. It is against God's design. It is abominable. But to look further to the neighborhood, verse 23, nor shall you mate with an animal to defile yourself with it. And our society is going further and further toward that madness. We have men and women marrying inanimate objects and critters and groups of other men and women. We've totally redefined what marriage is, which is rightly termed mirage. One man, one woman for life, that's marriage. A covenant before God, designed by God. Everything else is a mirage. We reject it. We don't honor it. We don't celebrate it. We don't attend it. We don't say congratulations. Whether it's man-wall, man-beast, or man-man, it's an abomination. We don't celebrate it. We don't attend it. We don't blaspheme God in honoring that which is a blasphemy of God. We don't hate those participating in such perversion that is going to damn their precious souls and the others that are participating participating in it with them. Instead, we love them and say, you must repent, my friend, and turn from this evil. For judgment is coming, even as it came on Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment is coming, even as it came on mankind as a whole in a global flood. Judgment is coming, my friend. Repent of this abomination. Turn to Jesus Christ and live and consider the neighborhood it's in. Incest, adultery, bestiality, child sacrifice. Now mind you, most of these are already rampant and socially acceptable, even boastworthy. Child sacrifice is boastworthy. Boast your abortion. We've got our Hollywood elites boasting their abortion. A week and a half ago, woman driving down the street boasting her abortion. And she didn't call it abortion. She didn't call it a choice. She said, I murdered my baby and I'm proud. She called it murder. She called her baby a baby, and she said, I'm proud, outside of the Beaverton Planned Parenthood. And that's not unique. That happens regularly. Some boast they're three, four, five, or six. Some hold up their morning after pill and say, look, look, I'm going to go take it and kill my baby. This is the fifth or sixth, and it won't be the last. They know the evil they're doing. Some do it as an act of satanic worship. They go with their pentagram adorned clothing to the abortion clinic to offer up their child as a child sacrifice legally to Satan. And I haven't just read about it. I've seen them and heard them boast of it. This is our nation. This is our world. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. Their arguments made that Jesus never addressed homosexuality, therefore it's okay, right? Who is the God who spoke to Abraham about judgment coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah? It was God the Son, the second person to the Trinity. That's Jesus. Uh, Who is the God who authored Leviticus? Well, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus. Every page in your Bible, every word, every jot and every tittle is the word of Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so they can't segment Jesus out. But by the way, we already read where Jesus talked about the judgment of God coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah back in Lot's day. And he didn't say, and that was a big misunderstanding of hospitality. (laughs) No, it's quite clear the meaning In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus, in Matthew 19, answers the Pharisees and says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, we don't need the psychiatrist argument about evolution, and this is how evolution has designed us. We need Jesus' argument. This is how God made us at the beginning, male and female. Nothing in between. That blows up all the gender confusion that's out there. God made us male and female, thus says the Lord, Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Verse 5, Matthew 19, Jesus says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he's quoting Genesis. He's quoting Genesis. Jesus is the God of Genesis. Jesus is our creator. Jesus is the God of all Scripture, and He created mankind, male and female, to be united in marriage, one man, one woman, for life, for the glory of God, and is the basic construct of all society, and, according to Malachi, to produce godly offspring, to produce godly offspring, children to be raised up in righteousness. So, oh yes, the Lord Jesus did address transgenderism did address homosexuality and lesbianism. Oh, yes. Directly and indirectly. In Romans chapter 1, we have the words of Jesus. Oh, wait, pastor, you err. That's Paul. No, it's the words of Jesus. It's the words of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's Paul who penned a page inspired of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 1... It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. That should point us back to Genesis 19. The wrath of God from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up, now remember these terms, to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. He gave them over to homosexuality. It's called uncleanness. It's called lust. It's called dishonor. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Here's a lie. It's everywhere. Love is love. Now, the vast majority of what the world calls love is hate. It's hatred toward God the Creator and hatred toward their fellow man and woman and child. who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to, add to your vocabulary, vile passions. Lust, uncleanness of heart, dishonor, so it's, it's not honorable, and vile passions. He gave them up to vile passions. What kind of passions? Vile passions. They're vile. They're abominable. The Lord doesn't mince words. He doesn't call it an alternate lifestyle. Uh, he doesn't call them misunderstood or same-sex attracted. Do not embrace these terms. They're terms of rebellion and deception. The Bible doesn't speak of same-sex attraction. It speaks of vile Passion. It speaks of lust. It speaks of uncleanness. It speaks of that which is dishonorable. It speaks of abomination. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passion. By the way, there are no vile passion Christians. If you're full of vile passions, that's on par of being filled with murderous passions. If you're full of murderous rage and you can just barely contain yourself from wanting to murder people all the time, that's not good evidence you have repented, confessed Christ as Lord, and are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. You need to repent. You need to cry out to God that you would be regenerated, made a new creature, the old past, will all things new. If you're filled with vile passions, you have no reason to believe you're born again from above. But hear me, there's a vast apostasy going on in the body of Christ. Together for the gospel. The gospel coalition full of famous preachers, famous theologians and authors, justifying the idea, defending the idea of same-sex attracted Christians. Dear friends, praise God, 
homosexuals, lesbians, transgenders, whatever you want to call them, men and women embracing sexual perversion can be saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. They can be set free. They can be made new creatures. But to say they will forever be slaves of the power of sin while being free of the penalty of sin is incredibly dangerous. Women like Jackie Hill Perry, men like Sam Albury, have become the shining stars of the evangelical American Christian world and Great Britain and beyond. Shining stars who profess to be same-sex attracted Christians, who then go on to, to say that it's false and wrong to have an expectation that they would repent of that and be free of that, who then go on to talk about and justify men living together who are same-sex attracted, quote-unquote, who once were married even, but now it's non-sexual. Of course, they continue to cuddle and hug and whatnot to meet their affection needs. And they justify this as a same-sex attracted Christian life. One of Sam Elberry's ministry partners wrote a long article about how every time he goes to church, he is so sexually attracted to all the comely men that he just can't hardly stand it. But then he praises God for his grace, that he is saved despite that. And, and that, that that's not sin. That, that's not sin to have these lusts, these vile passions raging within him. You see, once you reject God's terms, it's a slippery slope. Hold fast to abomination. Hold fast to vile passion. Hold fast to lust and unnatural, uncleanness, dishonor against nature. For even their women exchange the use for what is against nature. Romans 1.26 is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust. What is that man Doing when he goes to church, Sam Elberry's ministry partner, he is burning in lust. He is no Christian. He needs to repent, confess Christ as Lord and be saved. And it is hateful to him and to every, every other man and woman burning with lust to say, hey, that, that's fine. That's, that's Christian life. It's kind of like saying to a kleptomaniac, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's fine that you want to steal everyone's car, that you want to steal every woman's purse, and you're really tempted to reach into every man's pocket and take his wallet. It's fine that that's what's burning in you constantly. What is he at heart if that's still his heart? He's a thief. Is sin just outward? What did Jesus say? He said to look into lust is no big deal. Don't worry about it. He said to look into lust is to commit adultery. How serious is it? He said, pluck out your eye. Pluck out your eye. How serious is sexual sin? He said, cut off your hand. Oh yeah, it's serious. It begins in the heart and eventually it comes out. And so praise God, he saves us from both the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Not that we would never ever be tempted by sin. Not saying everyone here has never been tempted by sin since the day they came to Christ, confessed him as Lord. But you're no longer owned by it. You no longer identify as a slave of it. The cars in the parking lot are safe from you, as are the men in the pews and the women too, if you're born again from above. You're not constantly tempted to do horrific things. Now, mind you, we have people arguing this kind of argument all the way into pedophilia and arguing that someone can have pedophile passions in their heart and still be a Christian. Now, you must repent. When you repent, it's a change of heart, a change of mind. You no longer desire that which is evil. You've been born again from above. Oh, what a slippery slope when we start to suppress God's truth in unrighteousness. Hold fast to abomination. The first word God uses regarding the sin of homosexuality. Hold fast to uncleanness, lust, dishonor, vile passion against nature, burned in their lust. Again, Romans 1.27, likewise also the men 
leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Committing what is shameful. It's shameful. It's not boastful. It's shameful. It's not boastful out on the street with a rainbow flag. It's not boastful in the church saying how amazing God's love and grace is that you can come and be filled with vile passion for all the comely men. Even the terms this man was using. I think, I've never heard this term. Where did you get this? On the page of Sam Alberry's website that together for the gospel and the gospel coalition that Albert Moeller that Mark Driscoll, Nine Marks Ministry, were all commending and upholding. At Shepherd's Conference years ago, before John MacArthur and Phil Johnson had that split with these men, in part for these reasons, it was the last year that Al Mueller was at the Shepherd's Conference, I shook his hand and I didn't let go. And I talked to him about this very thing, his commendation of Sam Alberry. And how he needed to repent of that and address Sam Albury biblically and stop promoting this apostasy. Tragically, they have not stopped. There's a great apostasy taking place, saints. The pressures are immense. The whole world is united together against God and His Christ. And many professing Christians are aligning themselves against God and His Christ in a very nuanced way, a very careful way, but nevertheless, they are aligning themselves against God and His Christ, aligning themselves with the world, and the world will then tolerate them and not call them bigots, not hate them, not criminalize them. But compromise begets compromise begets compromise. Eventually, these compromisers will either have to repent and come back to the truth and show that they were born again, but they were blowing it in a colossal way. Or they will go completely apostate, as many already have. Well, that's not my God. If God condemns this, then I condemn that God and I'm out. Romans 1.28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Remember, it's an assault against God. The perversion is a manifestation of their rebellion against their creator. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Another biblical term you need to hold fast to. Debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Another term you need to hold fast to, not Fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, another term, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, not same-sex attracted Christians. We need to love them enough to say, no, my friend, you're not a same-sex attracted Christian. You're a hater of God, and you need to repent, be born again made new in Christ. Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, like same-sex attracted Christians, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that's our culture. Not, Not only do they do it, They approve of those who do it. If they themselves aren't involved in it, they are wholly committed to celebrating, protecting, encouraging those who are on their road to eternal destruction. Well, that's the bad news. A little more bad news, and then we'll finish with the good news. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. This is to the church. This is the Apostle Paul filled with the Spirit of God. This is Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God to the Apostle. This is God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul to his church. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. If this is who you still are, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You must be, what did Jesus say? You must be 
born again. That's still true. You must be born again. If this is who you are, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Can you fall in any one of these sins? Yes, you can. And we argued that from Lot's own life, from David's life, even from Peter's life, falling in Judaizing. And yet he was not a Judaizer. And yet David was not an adulterer. And yet Lot was not a perverse man as a rule of his life. The good news, verse 11, such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Any man, any woman, in any sin can be saved. They can be saved. Such were some of you. When they're saved, they are no longer a slave to that sin. That's no longer who they are. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now this current Christian apostasy wants to say you can be justified by Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God and still be a slave to sin. And the Word of God says, no, you can't. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Oh, saints, we need to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Stand firm against this great apostasy going on in the midst of mankind. Stand firm against this great apostasy going on in Christ's church, visible church. Call those who are compromising back to Holy Scripture and the true gospel and call those who are perishing to repent and believe the gospel that they might be saved. If they're still breathing, they might yet be saved. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. Grant us conviction through the power of your spirit to hold fast to it, Lord, to the actual terms, not to be ashamed of the truth, but to be ashamed of being ashamed of the truth, not to be ashamed of the God who defines male and female, who defines sin and righteousness, who defines sexual immorality and sexual morality, but to be ashamed, Lord, of our shame. Grant us courage and above all, love for you, and for perishing sinners. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.